got another question. It's something about, well, it was a little bit messy, but I, I try to clean it up at least to say something to you now. So what is good juggling or what makes good juggling? Which, okay, that's a pretty broad question, right? Um, and I took it in a, I mean, I was thinking about it in a million different ways. Um, you know, it, it could get into territory like, you know, who's your favorite juggler? Or what's your favorite kind of juggling? Or have you seen a juggling show that you like the most or, or that you like a lot or whatever? And then, of course, you can always think of the opposite, uh, which is, you know, what is bad juggling or what makes juggling bad? And I just want to, uh, I want to hear what you have to say, but I want to, I want to start with a little bit of a, a story, which I think is really funny. I was reading, um, well, so I, I was reading a book about the history of modern dance and I went to, I went to dance school for a couple of years. And so I was, I was pretty much into dance and I was reading a bunch of, of dance books and thinking about dance. And so this one this one book that was about the early history of modern dance, it was a writer who was writing almost an instruction manual about how to do modern dance. And I distinctly remember turning the page and getting to chapter eight or whatever it was. And it, it said in black and white letters verbatim, it said, you know, this is how to make good dance. And I was pretty shocked because I was a juggler at the time right and i was getting into the dance world and i was just like whoa there's a book that's printed and somebody had the audacity or the bravery or stupidity or whatever you want to say to actually print a chapter title and say this is you know this is how to make good dance and after that there was actually a chapter that said uh this is you know this is this chapter i don't remember the exact words right but it's like this chapter is about bad dance or like how can dance be bad or what are the qualities of bad dance that you want to look out for and i was so impressed <laughs> because i think dance in many ways or like like much of art i mean or all of art right it's subjective these qualities of making something good and bad it's such a arbitrary uh pursuit in one way but in the other way i can really relate to it personally I mean, I know I've seen dance I like, I've seen dance I don't like, I've seen juggling I like and juggling I don't like, etc. So I just remember reading this book and just being blown away that here's an art form that's not juggling, right? It's, it's a bigger art form that has the depth to the point where there's a book where you can actually have chapters about good and bad. And just to qualify and say, when I read those chapters, the stuff they said was very antiquated from my viewpoint, looking back, like the book was written in the, the 40s or maybe early 50s. So it kind of sounded cheesy in one way, the stuff they were talking about. But I was so inspired that they dared talk about it. Because like, for example, my first juggling book, The Complete Juggler by Dave Finnegan. I mean, it was just it's just about technique, right? There's no discussion of quality or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to. The, I have to start in the end where I have to specify a little bit more what do you mean by good and like i could do that <clears throat> i can of course answer that question in a number of ways for sure i can play the game someone asks me what is good juggling and then i just respond to that depending on how i 
intuitively interpret the question and what I feel about it. But then I feel like in terms of a discussion, it makes more sense to kind of drill down a little bit on the question first. Like, what do we mean by good? And you already gave a couple of examples there in the beginning, but I think I'd add a couple of more. Like, what is good juggling like the juggling that makes you successful in your career? Because that's a very easy way to quantify. Good yeah, and again, that's also, I mean, jumping over the question of like, you know, what utility is, is juggling having in your life? And you go, oh, I'm a performer. That's a very natural one, but one that, you know, you don't, like when I was growing up, that was assumed. But these days, you know. That yeah, <clears throat> and also in terms of what is bad juggling, I'm sure we could find of an example of some juggling that's unhealthy to execute. <laughs> and that would be bad juggling, right? Even if it's super cool to watch or everybody wants to see it, you would still, from one perspective, you could still classify it as bad juggling, I think. Yeah, it's not sustainable. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, reason. that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. sustainable. Right. Uh, and that could be good juggling too. Like uh, the type of juggling that I practice is has longevity in terms of career and mm. things like that. And I, I mean, that is the, you know, the juggling in the circus school, the people that also do, you know, acrobatics as a se se second discipline, they shorten their career span by, you know, 20 years or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I was 30, I felt like my career had just started as a, as a juggler. But if you're an acrobat and you're 30, like you're, you know, on the last leg of your career, most likely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, that even reflects, it has an interesting reflection in the, back when Russia had the state, the state school and the artists were uh, employed by the state because if you were an acrobat, you had a specific retirement age, but if you was a juggler, the retirement age was, was uh, higher. Mm -hmm. So therefore, a lot of the acrobats, they would, yeah, sorry, a lot of the jugglers, they would put in one <laughs> somersault in the act mm. because then they could retire 10 years earlier and get wow. money from the state. Wow. So that's why a lot of the, they have, you know, the yeah. Arab somersault in the beginning of the act when they enter the, the ring or whatever. And then it's like, oh, got the acrobatics <laughs> box <laughs> right. checked. So, uh, so yeah, good juggling. Is that the type of juggling that you can do also for a longer uh, time in your career, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, of course, we, we got a lot of questions kind of, of this kind of, you know, similar uh, level of question or, or whatever genre of question. And, of course, they're just so hard to answer because I think in the end, the answers do come down to we're going to give some sort of, we have to deal with this tangled mess of our culture. And we have the hobbyist on one side and the professional on the other side or whatever, whatever those words mean. And there's some sort of mix in the middle where you're trying to discern where you get your values from. And I think I think a question like what is good juggling or, or what makes like what are the qualities of a good juggler of good juggling um, that really starts to highlight this tangled mess we're in between where do we get our values of what tricks we choose to learn versus what tricks we choose to perform if we are performers versus you know and, and for what reason our own personal pride our own ego versus 
well, it, we, we perceive it gets us more money somehow or more prestige or more, you know, validation or whatever, but validation from whom and, you know, in what form, I mean, money or respect or ah, it's just such a tangled mess. So I think um, just to point out, it's kind of hard to, it's always hard to have these discussions. And at some point we just have to jump in and, and realize that we're in a, we're in a big mess and we are going to talk just from our own viewpoint. So I mean, yeah, well, that, so I don't, have you ever thought about that for yourself though? What is I'm, good juggling? Yeah. I mean, do you think about your juggling when you, when you're making something or practicing something in terms of good or bad? Do you use those words? Um, well, I think that if I'm trying to create new juggling, I probably try to think if I'm pleased by the thing that I'm creating first. That's probably the first barrier for me. Yeah, and do you literally think, okay, this is good, this is bad? Mm, do I think about it like that? Yeah, I could say. I could say that, oh yeah, that was good. Yeah. Uh, this is bad. I'm working on this is bad stuff now. Yeah, I could I could use those words. Um, but I'm, I'm also trying to think, let's say I do decide, oh yeah, I came up with this trick. I put up my phone, I make a little video, I look at it and it's like, oh cool, it looks nice. I like this trick. Let's say it's good. Mm -hmm. And if I pass that barrier, do I then go into this, you know, kind of the second uh, room of analysis where I go like, oh, is this people going to care about this if I do it in my act? But I think then we come coming again into the context and all of that, uh, all of those discussions, because it's then it's like, which show, yeah. which act, yeah. where's this act going to go? Yeah, yeah. Because maybe I come up with a super cool three ball trick, but the, the thing that I'm going to perform is I'm going to perform in a huge circus tent in the middle and then it might not be the best to do some little intricate three ball trick. Yeah. I mean, when you're making stuff, do you try to give, uh, I guess, different moments of, of the process? Like, so do you have any part of your process where you don't have good or bad? Like, for example, I do. Yeah. Like, or I, I try do. to, or like I create this myth for myself that I don't, that I have these moments of freedom where I say, okay, today the work is not about being good or bad. The work is about just making raw material because again, devoid of context, I don't know, or devoid of enough context, I don't know if it's good or bad yet. So, and also just that that constant, you, I don't know if it's a juggler thing, I'm sure it's a human thing, I'm sure it's, it's present in all different types of activities, but just that constant judgment of like, as soon as you do something, you go, ah, oh, that wasn't good, or that wasn't good enough normally, right? Especially with juggling, I feel, when you're making up tricks, um, and you try you try something and you go oh I'll try this uh, under the leg and you go nah it's not good enough right no but I think the easiest way to overcome oh this wasn't too good but should I carry on I think the easiest one is if I feel like I'm following a trajectory if I have some kind of direction that still interests me and I'm like I have that hunch you know I think I'm onto something here I just haven't squeezed it out yet mm then I feel like I can keep on going. It is much harder if I don't feel that, if, I'm, if I just feel like, oh man, no, I'm just in a wasteland of bad ideas right now. <laughs> this is not, you know? Yeah. I, I struggle a lot with juggling 
uh, I mean, I'm going to speak specifically about performing, right, or, or creating performances. And I struggle a lot with this uh, phenomenon where it's like, okay, what should I do next in the, let's say, the routine or the sequence, whatever, right? Like, what trick should I do next? <laughs> okay, pretty basic. Um, and then I go, oh, the trick I should do next is, you know, X, Y, or Z, doesn't matter. But I can't quite do the trick yet enough technically. Like, maybe I can't run it enough catches or... I can't do it clean enough. Mm. And then, but I still should make a decision in that moment. Am I going to commit to putting the work in to learn this technique? And then is this, so, so like I'll film it, right? I'll film, I'll film the sequence and I'll go, yeah, that's not working. But then the question becomes, you know, like I'll say, I'll say that's bad. That's, that's looking bad. Mm. But then the question, which is always so tough is, is it bad because it's a bad idea? Or is it bad because I can't do it good enough yet technically, right? I mean, it's such a struggle for me. Do you yeah. have any way to deal with that or you run into that? Yeah, I mean, it's not, I, I totally, I can totally relate to that feeling of like, this needs to be polished. It might get good later. Uh, it's not good yet. And how am I going to be able <laughs> to judge that? Okay, I got a trick. I did find a trick. It's not looking great, um, but is there something that I can kind of refine it, refine the details of it, um, and then it's going to get good? I feel also like, I mean, I know you've done the same too, but I feel like a lot of the, the juggling that I've been interested in and to make like an act or a show of is juggling that's look looks very similar like it's patterns and it's variations of the same idea like head roll for example and then i feel like patterns that might not be good <laughs> in yeah. their isolated just you know one one picture uh analysis they can still feel a function in a greater progression okay yeah towards something sure and i mean i can even probably squeeze out some example of that in you know classical juggling like let's say you're gonna juggle really fast with the clubs and then you kind of juggle slow at first and then it's like okay this is not great juggling you could say this just a slow three club cascade but then you do it faster and faster and faster and faster and then you go down on your knees right and then you, you're in the spotlight and you're down on your knees and you're doing it super super fast and that's super cool and now suddenly i feel like the juxtaposition between that first slow cascade now has value because it's in relation to this other thing that's so funny you say that because <laughs> that's so funny you say that first of all uh I, I really, that, that's a really nice idea, this idea that, well, this pattern on its own is maybe not good, but I can see that it could lead to a, a larger family of patterns that could be good, or there's a potential, it has a potential there. That's really cool. Um, and, and so I think, <laughs> so there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, what you just said about going faster, that's exactly the game I play, man. If I make something up, uh, I try it as fast as I can, and then I try it as slow as I can. Partly I do that for a technical reason, to try to find the natural tempo of the trick. Like maybe I'm working at a certain internal rhythm or external rhythm, whatever. Um, you know, I'm in a mood mm. and I'll come up with a trick uh, and maybe I'm struggling with it. 
And maybe that's just because in the moment, the process that led me to find that technique put me at a certain tempo or whatever, right? Maybe I'm listening to a song that's fast. I mean, whatever, it could be something stupid like that. But then I go, oh no, now I know. I should try this trick as fast as I can do it and as slow as I can do it. And partly it's technically to find that middle ground of where the trick naturally wants to be. But absolutely there's there's tricks where I look at it, I look at the film, I look back at the film and I go, oh, when I did that trick slower, it's really bad. But if I do it super fast, it's good. So it's really fun how you can take the those that quality of a pattern. It's not necessarily just the dry technique of my arm goes there, the ball goes there. Yeah. And the the second thing is that um you were talking about the, again hey, this pattern itself might not be good, but it could lead, I can see it might lead to other good patterns. And the, the question was, what is good, what is good juggling? <laughs> or yeah, what makes good juggling uh, today? And so, I don't know, I just, I was just looking around at juggling a few weeks ago, just the general state of juggling in the world. And I started to notice that a lot of the innovation I see right now, and I'll say innovation as a good quality of juggling for, uh, yeah, just in a quick, easy way, um, that it's laying that, that, that all the new juggling I'm seeing right now that's making me excited is from patterns. Mm. And there's a, and that's kind of significant because I saw the trend go like this. I mean, people were doing site swaps back, uh, whatever, 20 years ago or, or 15 years ago, 12 years ago, very, it was becoming very popular. But then all of a sudden you would go to EJC or IJA and people would be in the gym floor and they'd have their little sequence of three tricks in a row all of a sudden. It wasn't just 6x4, right? They'd do their little sequence and in the sequence they'd have these little transitions in between the tricks. And then that totally became a thing. Sequences, sequencing. Mm. That's a word people say nowadays, sequencing. And so this idea of that for a while there, the innovation or the good juggling in the zeitgeist of the community that was coming out of the juggling world was kind of in sequences or sequencing. But now I looked around, like I said, a couple, couple weeks ago, I was thinking a lot about the, the general state of juggling in the world and watching a lot of videos online and trying to think about, hey, what's happening? What have I seen this past year? And uh, yeah, it seems that patterns are back. Like I recognize in myself that most of the juggling I'm making these days are just disconnected patterns. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe as of right now, 2022, end of 2022, uh, one quality of good juggling is that it seems to be that it's a, it's a pattern and not just a one-off or a broken down sort of transitional sequence throw or something. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's true from where I'm, uh, looking as well at juggling and juggling culture. Maybe, do you think it has any, <clears throat> any connection to social media that like Instagram video one minute like or even shorter you know like there's a clip you're gonna watch a clip on a in a feed no I think I mean it could just be as simple <coughs> as like uh, it could just be as simple as just like the, the the pendulum swinging the other way on the clock you know okay because I, I mean Instagram def the format of Instagram for example it certainly does promote the kind of broken down sequencing moment of, of like you watch that video and you go oh man that was so cool uh, and then you kind of can watch it again it's on a loop and you go oh they just ro raised their leg really high and kind mm. of caught a ball under it and kicked it out like it's, it's kind of this flash uh, a, fl a moment a flash of image that that you kind of get confused by but actually 
it's just more about moments, I think, on Instagram, at least traditionally so far. There's just like moments of, of images popping out at you rather yeah. than continuously sustained patterns. I think, yeah, I, I mean, this is complete speculation, but I, I think that this, the, the, new, the new cool tricks being patterns these days is just maybe a reaction against that. Or, you know what I mean? It's a little bit of a, not a backlash, but yeah. again, the zeitgeist swinging the yeah. other way. I mean, everything goes in phases, and I think also you you exhaust possibilities of whatever you know style or format that you're exploring. You kind of exhaust it, and it dies out, and then it has to be kind of rediscovered. I think, and maybe that's what happened. You know, in an indi- from an individual's perspective, someone who had that life. You know, I used to work on patterns. Yeah. Then I been stuck doing this sequencing and the broken down stuff and now like my pattern you know investigations have got gotten a revival yeah exactly well and another thing in terms of you know what is good juggling or bad juggling and going back to having a, a, a place in your process where you don't need to have it be to be good or bad yet you're just making stuff, raw material to be put in a certain place later on to be good or bad. Um, I used to have a rule when I was younger. I think I'm over it now, I think, mm-hmm. where I had a rule, and this is in the context of performing. If I was going to make a new show, I had to do the show once for people uh, before I would watch a video of the show. Because I found that <laughs> when I was growing up, um, if I would film it before I performed it, then I would have to change it because I wouldn't like it. And then I would film it again to see if it was better. And it, it would just never get better, right? Like I'd mm. always find different things. So I just had this like funny rule of like, okay, perform it once for people. And now that's out of the way. Now you can go back and look at it. I don't know. It was some sort of method by which to try to yeah engage that constant self-critique of always wanting it to be better in different ways. I don't know. Did you ever do something like but, that? Well, I can certainly recognize what you're talking about that we're you know very critical of our own work and i think we see things to a much higher detail than someone from the outside uh so i can certainly see that you can get away <laughs> you can have your premiere much earlier if you don't film what you're doing <laughs> yeah uh but but then it's also so but when you made that decision like i'm going to perform it once and then i can film it yeah but did you then have the experience that you performed something people are happy to see see your show you get good feedback and then you watch it yourself and you're like oh my gosh here's a couple of things that do not look good oh all the time so then <laughs> but then how do you evaluate then like but people liked it or you know, no, I, I no, I see what you're saying, and like I say, it was a really arbitrary little rule I set for myself, but it was just a way to confront that thing of of always trying to make it uh, perfect or whatever that means. But I think also the quality, one quality you gain or I gained from performing it once for an audience was, yeah, some sort of of realistic feedback that wasn't just you know, a projection in my brain of how the work was going to be perceived. Right. Yeah. So I did have one metric by which to judge <laughs> some sort of, to temper some sort of, you know, uh, idea that I had a preconceived notion I had about the work at least. Totally. Totally. There's a couple of more things about good juggling that I think is 
uh, yeah, good, good to mention. And one is, I think that you can differentiate between juggling that's kind of successful in terms of a performance, like I can build my career on this, and I, it, it works to perform it for a general audience, let's say. But there's also good juggling, I think, that has some kind of relevance to other practitioners of your field. Mm-hmm. And those two are not necessarily uh, the same, like juggling that kind of works out there and ju- the type of juggling that you could show your friends that are also jugglers that are also, you know, uh, at, a, at some kind of a depth in their own explorations that they might appreciate that a lot what you're doing but still you might recognize that uh, maybe this doesn't belong in a show and i want to say something about that and i think that is that if you're gonna if you're at the kind of peak of some kind of development it is much harder to create something there that's how, how should i say that has significant quality you're much more likely to make smaller uh, you know progressions or progressions that necessarily don't have value out in the real world but they have va- their value is located in the fact that they're they're new it's new thinking it's new um, new development it's you're you're stepping into unexplored territories um, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can come up with a good example there. Uh, well, I mean, I find that a lot in my in all my work over the years, where I feel I'll take a big step forward into a certain direction for me personally, and because it was such a big leap away from what I'd done before, um, I kind of I, I that kind of blinds me. Yeah, you know, like I, I take such a big jump ahead that for me, I just can't imagine going any farther. Right. And then someone else comes along, like you, and look at something I do and say, "Oh, but why don't you just do it like more like that?" And I go, "Oh, I could never thought of that because I was too deep into just that mm-hmm. having that big leap into the in, uh, uh, progress for me." I think a good example I can can think of one, and that is uh, the Japanese juggler Sebas. Yeah. Like he's got, I mean, I haven't seen him now for a couple of years, but back when we used to see him in Japan and he also put up videos, he would always have something that was kind of, I don't know, conceptually interesting or something. Mm-hmm. Even if he, even if he even, you know, put up a lot of video, videos where I feel like he was unsuccessful in mm. even succeeding with the juggling that he was attempting you yeah, know yeah but you could still see that there was some kind of an idea lurking in it that was like mm. oh, oh yeah what a beautiful way of, of thinking you know yeah i get you uh, so is that good juggling i i, I yeah. would hope i can answer yes i see what you mean you know yeah you can i just have to say because you said sebes we we should say his the, the two craziest tricks i ever saw him do the one is he had two crystal balls, two acrylic balls, and he would hold one of the acrylic balls in his hand. And with the other hand, he would take the other acrylic ball and they were probably what, a hundred millimeters or 90, 190 millimeters, whatever uh, each. And he would take the second ball, place it on top of the first ball and spin it and let go 
of the top ball and somehow spin the top acrylic ball on, the, on holding it on the bottom acrylic ball. It makes no sense. But he did it. That was crazy. And the other one, which is my favorite one, yeah, is he took uh, ping pong balls and filled them, you know, filled them each with a little bit of sand. So he made very small Russian balls. And then if you take your if you take your hand and hold it up with the with the live long and prosper Spock Star Trek Star sign. Trek sign. Yeah. Um, so you know your your first finger and your middle finger are together, and your ring finger and your little finger are together. Imagine that each of those pairs of fingers is a hand. <laughs> and then do a three ball cascade between those two sets of fingers. So you're essentially doing a three ball cascade uh, on one hand with by using two sets of fingers. It was like the coolest thing I ever seen in my life. Yeah. And then he said, and then he said he was working on passing. <laughs> so he would do he would do that trick with with both hands, and then he could do a two count passing between the the yeah the four sets of fingers like the, instead of the four hands. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we both saw him do the cascade with one hand, right? With the ping pong balls and whatever, 12, 18 throws or whatever, catches or whatever. Um, and yeah, was it maybe as refined and was it as aesthetic and was it as whatever you might want to start to lay out as qualities of good juggling? Probably not. But was it good juggling? Like you're saying in terms of the broader scope, like, oh, I can't think of better juggling in one way, right? just the boundaries it breaks and just the progressive thinking and, and just the, the new way to look at what you're doing. is just amazing. Right. And so, um, okay. Okay. So, Hey, uh, well, who's you, just really quick. Who's your favorite juggler? Who's my favorite juggler? Yeah. I mean, Amy, we're talking about good juggling here. So who, who juggles good, man? M- Michael motion. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. And do you have a favorite Michael motion piece? I mean, I really like the two sticks. Yeah. But, I mean, I should say the crystal balls maybe or the triangle, but they're also the pieces that have been ripped off so many times and there's so many derivatives. I feel like they're almost, they've almost been like, um, <laughs> what do you say when something gets dirty? <laughs> uh, yeah, tainted. Soiled. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> tainted. Uh, so I, I don't think I can say those, but I like so many of his pieces. I love the cylinders. I love the sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, what about yourself? I mean, my favorite Michael, I mean, yeah, he's, he's my favorite juggler. I'm, and he made the, my most favorite juggling piece of all time, uh, of anything, which is the original version of the juggling act in the Cirque du Soleil show Mystere that is in Las Vegas. It's still running today, but the juggling act was only in the show for maybe a little over a year. And it was um, Jean Bernard and Pat McGuire and Steve Ragatz who did that, who performed that piece in Mystere. Uh, and yeah, the original version before Steve Wynn came in and, and added some solos because Steve Wynn is uh, legally blind. So he had just paid for this new Cirque du Soleil show, Mystere. I mean, it's the, it's the first resident show in Vegas. So he had paid all these millions of dollars to have this custom built theater and he's going to come in and see this new show they've created for his casino. And then the first act is the micro motion piece, which is 10 to 12 minutes long. And it's, it is one of the, I mean, it's one of the, I can't even, I don't have words. It's one of the coolest things you've seen in your life. And I, I saw that show many times and the audience had the sensation too. It's not just me being crazy about Michael's work. Like the audience felt something too, for real. 
but it they were so drawn into the piece they yeah they didn't clap they didn't cheer and it was the opening piece of the show so then steve when he can't see and all he's doing is sitting in the audience listening to like silence based or listening to the music you know and he's like oh this is a disaster we have to change it and so they added um some solos into the trio like so in the in the trio there's some solo moments so they each get some applause so then steve was more calm after that when he heard more applause but the and 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 just to say the trio version where they had the solos for steve when um was also incredible mm. but the first version before they added in the solos uh, mm. is the best juggling i've seen in my entire life and then uh, they went on to do the trio in kidam they changed it a little bit and uh, then they and then uh, uh, jean passed away and then steve uh, steve and pat they they continued to do it as a duet in in kidam eventually but uh, yeah that that piece and it's rolling it's rolling these balls on big metal shapes that are curved and 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 it's the piece too that remember we met Michael in Paris and then and then he said uh, yes uh, how do you roll a, like he he loved to ask this of the audience when he talked about the piece he gave a lecture and he would say how do you how do you make a ball roll uphill that was always his mm. conception of the piece like in terms of the the technique is mm. he was making balls roll up hills it was these curved pieces of metals and metal that you would hold and then because of how you would roll the ball it would look like it was rolling uphill. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of fun. But yeah, that's my favorite Michael piece for sure. Um, but I also love the, for example, I mean, all of Michael's work, but then uh, Air Jazz, uh, their their pole, they each have these three three long poles, each piece. Yeah, I know it. That's a great, that's one of my, that's good juggling. Yeah. <laughs> also. Jörg Miller with the metal tubes. The pendulums. Yeah. That's, that's good juggling. Very good. I mean, do you see any sort of common uh, qualities between those kinds of things besides just like non-traditional props in terms of the, the, the kind of current three ball ring and club shapes that we have? Um, um, yeah, I mean, that certainly makes them stand out as more perhaps unique I mean, works, but I, yeah. The, the one, one common quality they both have and also maybe with Michael's piece, like this ball rolling up the hill, is that the technique is somehow, I don't, I'm gonna mess up the words, but the technique is transparent. Right. Hey, you know, the air jazz thing is you put a pole on the ground and let go, and before it falls over, you grab another pole and let go, and before that next one falls over, you grab the first one and you put it up straight again. And that technique is just relatable. I think it's universally relatable, right? We all know if yeah. you put a stick on the ground and like, or, you know, put it in the end on the ground and let go, it'll fall over. And we know that sensation. And the same thing too is um, Jörg Mueller's pendulums. We all know, you know, yeah, you how take, something swings. Take a rope and it's just like it's innate somehow our relationship yeah. to the technique. Yeah. So I think it's really fun. Okay, cool. Well, do you have a? I mean, do you have any other favorites like? A favorite juggler oh we talked about that a bit but a juggling show or anything else that comes to mind um anthony gatto yeah uh, incredible and uh, that's good juggling that is good juggling okay uh, i think we talked before on the podcast about the seven clubs where it looks like one club is levitating at the top yeah <clears throat> i think when stuff like that appears that you just juggling where things appear that you didn't expect Mm. something like that uh, okay <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah, okay. Um, but I can. I think I can like... Maybe there's bad juggling that I think is good juggling. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking of... I'm thinking of, like, Sergei Ignatov's five-ring routine. Like, is that good juggling? Because mm. it was, like, it was done in, the ni- in, like, 1960, you know, late 60s. I think he had this premiere in, in 1970. And, like, if I look at that routine now as in terms of a structure of a routine, it's pretty bad, you know? It's, like, mm. five rings, uh, half pirouette, half pirouette half shower five up pirouette five up pirouette pancakes or something like that Hmm. and i mean it's by today's standards it's not good juggling i think i mean it's still hard it's i can't do it and i'd be impressed if someone could just whip it out but i would not be impressed if someone would come and that was the structure of their routine you know Hmm. but it's still, I mean... But that's funny you say that because I mean, if you go back to the air jazz piece with the poles and Jörg Müller's pendulums and Michael Motion's work, you're using these non-traditional props and these techniques that just aren't popular that haven't been really explored by other people. There is really no metric to judge their progress through time. They are timeless. Yeah. There's this quality of a lot of Michael's work too that he strives for is that it's timeless. Yeah. And one way to play that game, I guess, is just to, you know, you're not doing the five ring routine from the 1960s yeah and you look at the technical progress now of jugglers just over the over the years and and technique all over the place has just jumped up exponentially mm-hmm. uh, but but not really so much in the in the long pole setting on the floor space <laughs> so it's harder to you know like yeah it's more timeless i guess those things i mean um my favorite juggling show is is uh is flack uh, by de facto and then uh, I think my second favorite juggling throw is All the Fun by EIO do you have a favorite show? yeah my favorite juggling show is your least favorite juggling show <laughs> <laughs> okay oh yeah we're, yeah we're talking about bad juggling too so. yeah 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 no my favorite juggling <laughs> show of all time is uh, Jean Le Pas Confondre by uh, Fia Menard and uh, Jean-Michel Guy uh-huh. what was that show? That was for those who who are in eternal bliss for not knowing what the show is. <laughs> uh, that was a show with a juggler kind of yeah, he's juggling the entire show. he never stops juggling. He's always uh, yeah, the juggling never stops. And then there's a speaker who comments on the juggling, uh, talks about the juggling, talks about juggling in general, not just the juggling that we see. And uh, it is not about aesthetics or the the visuals of the juggling. It's about uh, other things that I, at the time, thought was very interesting. And I thought it was also fascinating that it was kind of a conceptual uh, juggling show um, mm. so uh, but I think like it, it gave me it gave me this sensation like oh you could do that with juggling like you can make you know a, a comment about juggling that has to do with concepts and ideas and not not just a visual fireworks uh, <laughs> it's so funny you say that because i i mean you know 
probably one of my, I mean, my third favorite juggling show ever is probably some Petit Chabert show. Mm. Uh, you know, say Pan Pot or something. Yeah. And the reason I love it is because the juggling is exactly just visual fireworks. In terms of that, it's a graphical language. And I think partly it's also my, I mean, now we're getting, you know, the question is what is good juggling? Now we're, it's just so tangled with performance and, and the politics of the genre and whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just like so many people justify their juggling in a show by adding dance or adding music and saying, oh, I do juggling and dance, you know, to try to make it, to kind of pump it up a bit, to give some, get some respect of like, because dance, dance is a real thing. Um, and what I really like about Petit Chabert is generally they really rest the foundation of the show on that the, that juggling is a graphical language that's worth looking at. You know, they don't really apologize for it much, I think. There is a, a thin layer of theater and musicality, which I'm sure if you talk to them, it's it's not so thin. Like, it's deeply entwined. But from the outside, I just go, yeah, they're juggling a lot. <laughs> and they're juggling in a way I haven't seen before. And not just in a way I haven't seen before, but in a way that's very visual. Yeah. Like, I really appreciate it. Right. No, but I think just to say a last thing about Jean-Luc Pancomfondre, I think the show was very critical of juggling and it was it was provoking in that sense. And I, I had never I had never seen that aspect of of juggling that that you could be it it doesn't have to be nice and pleasant to watch. It could be actually something that challenges you and provokes you i mean just to give an idea they had this they had this part of the show where the juggler uses a lot of different objects and it was like everything from skis to swimming pool flotation thing yeah all kinds of just stupid objects and the, uh, the my take from that scene was that the juggler did not reflect over the actual nature of the object that was used. And I thought that was very true. That of, And we still see that today. Like often jugglers, they, they might have found an object that they use in their show, but they don't take the reality of what that object is and the connotations that that object gives you kind of what that object represents in society, they don't take those aspects into account. They just treat the object as this form that has physical properties that you can use for manipulation. Right. So in the performance, there was this beautiful moment where the juggler came to the realization about what the objects were. Mm. And he ends up, and he has, what's the last... I think it's it's it was either the the object he ends up with. I think it was a plastic, you know, toy um, uh, mace. I think they're called. Like it's a handle yeah. with a chain, chain to like a ball. spiked ball. Okay, I don't remember that. Yeah, I think that's the object that he ended up with. It was either that or a pair of skis, and he's there with that object. And whatever the speaker said made you realize, like, oh, now the juggler understood what he actually had in his hand. Mm-hmm. It was not about the manipula- manipulative properties of the object anymore. He actually took the reality of the object into account. And then the speaker said, the, the words that I remember was that the speaker saying, 
jugglers, they'll juggle anything, really. And then he takes out a bra and he goes, yes, really anything. And it was one of these bras that has a Velcro in the middle. Okay. So he could rip it apart. And then he starts swinging poi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that's genius. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you got some value out of that. I mean, I mean, one thing you said now about that show, you know, it being a bit thought provoking for you, <laughs> for you, and uh, and also that it wasn't necessarily like aesthetical or whatever. And I know exactly what you mean, and that that's true. But you, that reminds me of another thing that you said uh, a long time ago. It's my job to remember the cool things you say, Eric, and then remind you of them. <laughs> no, but you said like juggling will never be a true art form until we can have ugly juggling. Do you remember that? Yeah. You want to say something about that? That was such a cool. That was such a cool observation. I thought it's totally true still today. No, but I think that if you want to talk about art and expression and yeah, you 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 need to have access to the entire spectrum of expression. Otherwise, you kind of yeah, you're censoring. I don't know the medium somehow it's like let's say you have a palette of colors but you go oh I'm never gonna use red it's just it's a weird artistic choice and to look at a performative uh, art form with restrictions like that I don't think it's uh, it, it doesn't make sense to me obviously you need to have access to the full spectrum well, go, I, mean, yeah. I mean, going back to this, I mean, it's just reflected in the question we were talking about, what is good juggling? And you can, it's almost like saying, oh yeah, juggling or circus, but let's stick with juggling. Juggling can be an art form as long as it looks good. Yeah. As long as it's, again, this word good, but implying a, a more narrow, like you're just saying, a more narrow set of aesthetics or values or expression or, or yeah, range of expression, I mean. And I, I like that idea a lot. I mean, so have you seen ugly juggling? Have I seen? Well, I think in Jongleur par Confondre, I think there was plenty of ugly juggling. Yeah, I would say mm. so. Mm. I think that. Uh, let's see. Well, well, are you. Let me. I want you to specify. Do you mean specifically ugly juggling that I think still was good juggling or just ugly juggling? No, I just meant in, in relationship to your comment, your observation of all those years ago that juggling won't really be an art form until we can have, for example, ugly juggling and have that be accepted. Because do you remember, back to Sebas again, do you remember cat technique? Mm-hmm. I would maybe categorize that as, as ugly juggling. Yeah, I mean, cat technique is you take your fingers, right? Yeah. You kind of you, you make a fist, but not a full fist. Like You, you karate kid. Yeah. You, know? you yeah. karate kid pose with your hand. So yeah. what's that? You bend in the first two knuckles. But of not, all the fingers, yeah. But not the third or something like that. Yeah. And that, he called that the cat hand. Yeah, then you could catch a ball in there, but you're basically like catching a ball without using your fingers, kind of, and your yeah. fingers are folded. Exactly. In, but they're and not. then he did some, like, contact juggling, but with the hand in that position. Yeah. And I think he called it te- cat technique. Yeah. And it was pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, but again, I mean, we're, and again, this gets into uh, all too many other bigger things of, of uh, marketing and yeah, uh, expectations of audiences and whatever. Yeah, so cat technique, ugly, um, widely accepted. Don't know about that. 
don't know if juggling's there yet that we can all do cat technique and have it be okay. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you recognize any like maybe more consistent qualities in the juggling you do yourself when you say, "Oh, that's bad." You go, oh man, I did a bunch of bad, you know, I'm trying to make some stuff today. It all turned out bad. Do you find yourself making some sort of consistent quality of that juggling that, that you keep interpreting as bad? Like I know something I do myself, but. Yeah, I think it's bad when it's not visually distinct. What do you mean by that? When I, when I often like I, often when I discount some juggling that I have just created, it's. Because I have some idea in my mind about what the juggling is going to look like, the pattern, let's say. Mm. And then I, like, I learn the pattern and then I film it. But my kind of impression of it from executing it is different from what I see when I watch the video. And then I'm kind of like, oh, it's just not clean. And the one... The one, the one trick I tried to learn, you know, the three ball line, in line, I guess they call it. And like, I had some idea about the one, yeah, yeah, it just didn't work out. And when I was war- looking at it in the video, I was just like, ah, it's just not distinct. The balls don't, they're not separated by equal amounts of space. <laughs> okay. And, uh, so it lacked some sort of visual clarity. I think so, yeah. So then conversely, you can just say that good juggling for you, at least sometimes when you juggle, it's going to be a good a quality of good juggling is visual clarity. Yeah, I think generally speaking, I would prefer that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That it, there's, oh, it's clear what, what's happening. Sure, there, there might be a time and a place for kind of confusing juggling, let's say. <laughs> if we want to talk about the whole spectrum again, it's like, oh, mm. what happened there? Right. Maybe there's some aspect of that that's right. At some could point, be interesting yeah. somewhere, but yeah. but uh. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I make a juggling that's bad, I usually look at I look at the pattern or the trick or the moment from the quality of it's not full enough, like it's too sparse, it's too far time in between actions or so for example if you're doing a three ball cascade or something you know you could do every third throw of the trick or you could do it every other throw or you could do it every throw right if you're going to throw under the leg or some body throw or something it's easy to describe um and normally you know with that tighter rhythm this comes technical complexity which i probably don't have because i just made the trick so then i'll look at something and i'll go oh that's super bad I could maybe try to do it every other throw or every throw to make it better as a quality. I don't know. I just notice that a lot with the stuff I make that I don't like. I go, oh, this is this juggling is bad. Why is that? It doesn't. It's the, not busy enough. It's not busy enough. Yeah. Or like there's a special moment that just doesn't repeat enough for me to really, you know, there's too much stuff in between yeah. <laughs> the moments. And it's hard. It's technically hard to cut those, those yeah. things out. Um, well, anyway. I think you wanted to ask me about juggling to music or something? Yes. I have on a few occasions in my life attempted to improvise with a musician. Okay. And uh, I think I've done that to 
mixed mixed um, result, <laughs> results with, with mixed results. Now we're talking good and bad juggling. <laughs> now we're talking good and bad juggling. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I've done that with mixed results, and I've kind of I've also been like it's nothing that I've tried to pursue in my oh, life yeah. either. Yeah. I never had a musician that I collaborated with, you know, in a show that I perform regularly or something like that. Mm. But there's been also moments in in my time where that's something that I've recognized as like, oh, I would like to get better at this. Hmm. And I remember that, like, I know, not remember, I know that you have done actually a lot of improvisation to music. Uh, And maybe we should separate, like, improvising to someone who plays live and versus improvising to, like, a song that I know. And I guess maybe there's a third layer where you you can improvise, improvise... to someone who plays live who is also improvising. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. Uh, so maybe there's three little categories there to to look at. But oh, yeah. no, I just wanted to see if there was maybe some knowledge that I could extract from from you uh, and that, you know, maybe there's other people also who would be interested <laughs> to hear what you say. Oh, man, how much time do you have? There's going to be there's a lot. No, but let, let's let's <laughs> see if we can find a, a good no, point I, to start. Yeah, I, I, I can. We'll... I can. I mean, I'll, I can just play your game that, that we've been playing lately, <laughs> which is let's talk about improvisation for a second with juggling. And uh, I have to say that back in 2009 was jam. 2008 or nine, nine. Yeah, so we did this thing called Juggling in Music at the Stockholm Circus School. And as part of that, like Michael Motion came to hang out and Tom Johnson and Carl Heinz Ethan and yeah, Flying Caramazza Brothers we had out here hanging out. And so that was like a six month course, I think, uh, to, to study uh, juggling in music and uh, design that together, that course together with Luke Wilson and one of the main ideas of the course was to investigate juggling and music not from the most obvious starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, though just to say, obviously, that exploration of juggling and music is still is not very developed or deep mm-hmm. all these years, right? It's not... But wait, is there an obvious starting point? Yes. I was, yeah, okay. I'll, tell, I'll tell it to you. So, yeah, it's the Flying Karamazov brother speech, uh, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up now. But to paraphrase it, it's... it's um, Juggling is a series of events, notes as graphed against the continuum of time. Music, uh, similarly, is a series of events. Uh, sorry, sorry, ju- sorry. Wait, what, what did I say? Uh, this is why I, I failed the, the audition <laughs> for the flying case. No, look, okay. Yeah, juggling is a series of events, throws and catches as graphed against the continuum of time. Music, similarly, is a series of events, notes as graphed against the passing of time. And this uh, this this series of events in, in, against time and music is called rhythm. And the same term rhythm can also be applied to the throws and catches against the passing of time and juggling. And so we've just seen that then juggling is rhythm and music is rhythm. And so if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Therefore, juggling is music, said Paul Majid, <laughs> right? And so uh, rhythm is, is the obvious starting point, uh, just literally because of that speech, because that speech is just perfect, right? And so uh, we said, okay, we're going to do a six-month course at the university. We're going to explore juggling and music, but we're not going to start from the starting pa- place of rhythm. 
Okay, then I understand. Right. Yeah. So it was just like, okay, what are the other starting points where, you know, where can we dive in? How can we think about these things differently? That's a whole other story. But what I want to tell you is about the last week of that course. In the last week of that course, we took one week and we sat down and we said, okay, we got one more week to go. So before we're done, can we please try to lay out what the next step could be? Like, what should the next course be? Should it be another juggling and music course? And if so, what are those qualities of that course? Or should it be something else? Like, what have we kind of learned in the past six months and where could it lead? And so we took that, that week and I thought it was super fun. At the end of the week, we had determined that actually, yes, we should make another course. There's more work to do, but that course should probably be about improvisation. Mm. that that was one of the main qualities that we had kind of encountered over the past six months in various sort of scenarios. Um, this idea of improvisation kept coming up and it was the thing we knew least about. We could, we could talk the, <laughs> the least about. Um, we had the least experience with it and we had the least references for it. And yeah, and it was really exciting. So there were all these signs pointing towards, hey, let's figure, let's start to figure out what does it mean to improvise with juggling. And then um, I can I can I can jump into um, at least one starting point of improvising for juggling. So that course, just to say that next course, it never happened. Um, it's still it's still all these years later, just notes on my computer. But looking around at the world of juggling after that and saying, okay, where can we find improvisation with juggling? Well, first of all, we can talk about the Flying Hair Maza brothers again. They have their famous piece called Jazz. Mm. It's one of the best uh, examples we have right now of improvisation and juggling, at least in terms of maybe communicating that to an audience and playing with that structure for a live performance, right? And that piece, if you don't remember, it's, uh, it's a feed. It's uh, one juggler feeding three other jugglers. And they, as they, as they do the feed, which the pattern doesn't change for the whole piece, but they do talk about how this basic pattern of the club passing and the order in which they throw to the different members of the troupe, that that's kind of like your, your foundational melody that exists, whether the clubs are there or not. Mm. And how cool is that? So then they throw different sort of tricks and they drop, but then they can get back in, they can pick up. But at one point they all do drop they drop all the clubs, but the quote unquote music is still going in their heads so they can get back into the rhythm of the pattern. Mm. And uh, so that's that's one famous, I guess, or good good example, easy to point at for improvisation and juggling. And another one is just this uh, this story about Jerome Thomas. Uh, so what year would he have done his first act? Do you know? 84? Okay, let's say early 80s. It's, it's good enough, right? Yeah. So... So uh, Jerome Thomas, as I understand the story, um, he wanted to he wanted to dance ballet, and uh, maybe to impress his parents somehow. And but he was maybe too short, uh, and so like to have the classical ballet, you know, credentials there, or whatever, to get into the best or the final school. I don't know. I don't really care. But anyway, he wanted to do ballet and couldn't. Um, so he was maybe pretty sad about that and it made him search around like oh what can i do that's equally valid and maybe maybe my you know make my parents happy that i'm a good artist or something and uh, his uncle was a famous jazz musician somehow mm-hmm. and he had that observation and he said oh my uncle he improvises with music he improvises 
when he plays this jazz music. And he thought, oh, I'm a juggler. Maybe if I improvise with my juggling, I can achieve the same level of, or some sort of level of, you know, respect in my field. If I do this, if I kind of relate it to this other art form in this artistic way. So then he started doing improvisation uh, with juggling. And that's, that's the story I heard. It's pretty cool, mm. pretty cool idea. And just to say both the, just to notice, both the Flying Karamazov brother jazz piece and the Jerome Tama, my uncle plays jazz thing. Um, now we can start to talk about on what level of, like what technical level are we talking about improvisation? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Jerome Tama, he's got his, his four ball shower with one on his head, he goes into five and then he's got his five ball bounce and he has the what, juggling the feather, whatever. Yeah. And then it's like, well, hey, I'm going to improvise. Today I'm going to start with the feather. Yeah. <laughs> and tomorrow I'm going to start with the four ball shower. It's like the same 10 tricks, but slightly different order. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not taking credit away from him. Like, cause I love that thought process of back in the early eighties of being like, oh man, what if I improvise with juggling? Like people do with jazz, maybe mm. we'll get somewhere else. That's mm. very cool. But in terms of the mechanics of the actual physical performance, it's like, well, yeah, you just did the, the shower after the feather and tomorrow you do the feather and then the shower. Like, yeah. The question is on what level is the, is the improvisation located? No, totally. Because you could play the same game with someone who improvises on a deeper level. You can say, well, your throws are the same or yep. something like that. Well, you improvise no. in terms of the height of the throws in your mills mess. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the now now you can you can get in and just start talking about like what is improvisation just in general. Yeah. And I just want to confront from my viewpoint some of the common right yeah common ideas i mean i i, I want to throw in one more juggling reference in there because i mm. think it's important and i if i recall correctly uh, adolf salerno so he performed around 1900 he never had a set act he just had his table of props mm. and then he kind of did the tricks that he thought were you know how he felt basically yeah throughout the throughout the the act i don't know to what degree that happened there's i should i should find the specific reference who says that he did that and why and blah 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 blah, blah. but it's it's also funny to think about improvisations in terms of like i'm gonna do my pistol trick which is when you balance a a pole on your head and at the end of it there's a little a coffee pitcher what do you yeah like a teapot yeah like, a, like a teapot yeah, yeah exactly teapot at the end of the at the end of the stick and then he has a gun that shoots a ball yeah and he shoots a ball into the teapot mm -hmm. because there's no obviously there's no moment of improvisation inside the trick do you know if he was considered did you know if he thought he was improvising when he would change the order of the tricks or I don't know. I don't know what his intentions were or... So I know a, I know a juggler who's my friend. Uh, well, I won't name him, but he has a funny way of looking at it. He also has a table of props and he improvises. And he says this: the mark of success of a great show is that he, he has a bunch of props on the table he never gets to touch because his tricks before went so good that the audience clapped so long that the time of the show just passed faster. 
right okay. so you have like 10 tricks on your table and you're like man if I nail these first five so good the audience are going to clap so long I don't have to do the last five you know what I mean <laughs> and so he would talk about shows in terms of like how many tricks he could skip per night because he uh, it's not quite an improvisation but you know yeah, uh, yeah, on one yeah. level it is right you're improvising with your <laughs> anyway but yeah okay so yeah. so that's great you bring that up because what you're sa- you just said is oh it's kind of funny to think that there is some sort of improvisation, but you still got the gun with the teapot. Like, there's what's the improvisation in that besides the order in which you do it or maybe how long you draw something out? I don't know. But that is a confrontation for me of the general idea that when you improvise, you are free. Mm. You are totally free, right? Like, that's always yeah. uh, like, hey, hey, Eric, we, we have to do a gig really early tomorrow. Uh, should we choreograph it or just improvise it? Mm. All right, like it's always the opposite of choreographing it. I- improvisation always, we always think of it culturally or some some relationship to that word as freedom of like, you don't know what's going to happen next. But like, it's the same thing as, as everything else. I mean, can you ever truly improvise? Like when you drill it down, down, down to what fundamental level, like, yeah, you know. But it is an interesting thought experiment in terms of juggling, like, What's the deepest depth of, of improvisation you can get to? Right. So, so, so we never did that extra course on improvisation, uh, but I've, tr- I've tried it a little bit over the years. Like I did a great week. I did one week with Tony Pezzo when he was in school. It was some of the greatest juggling I've ever seen mm. that Tony did that week when we were improvising. And it starts pretty, it's, it, it can start, um, for example, you can start to do exercises like, um, do some juggling that uh, I have never seen before, right? And then there's so many levels to take these exercises on. You can get completely philosophical to the end of the universe, or you can get just really practical and really basic. And so it's like, hey, show me something I've never seen before. Well, that's also begs, you know, for you to consider what I've seen before. So that's pretty in one way you can use that you can twist that to your advantage right you can just say like oh i don't think jay's ever seen diablo or whatever like whatever you want to intuit you can kind of play the game that way mm-hmm. hey show me something i've never seen before but also then um you know you could you could just do the three ball cascade and say oh well it's uh you know december 1st eleven thirty-five p.m and this moment will be gone forever and I'm doing three ball cascade. You've never seen this before, right? Like, blah, blah. Like, you could go really existential on the whole, like, depth of what have you never seen before. Then you can also start, then you can start to twist that question a little bit more and say, okay, do something that, do something, um, do something, do something that you have never seen before. Ah, okay. Maybe that's a, like, then, then you're a little, you, somehow that feels a little bit deeper, right? Do something I've never seen before. Okay. Mm. But do something you've never seen before. You as the author of the, or the, the juggler of the juggling, right? Mm. You go, okay, something I've never seen before. But really, once you start to drop the values of good and bad, it's very easy. It's super easy to do something uh, that, you, that you've never seen before. So then you can drill it down another fundamental level and say, do something you've never done before, mm. right? And uh, just to kind of cut to the chase, <laughs> that the easiest way for you to do something that you've never done before is to do something random, to do something chaotic, mm. do something with no discernible pattern. 
that's that's one of the that's one of the, the fundamental things. If you want to do something that you've never done before, if you just throw the balls up chaotically and flail your arms about, right? But as soon as you start to set up a pattern or a rhythm, what you're creating is an expectation. Mm-hmm. And expectations, I mean, then they beg that you that you follow, yeah. you fulfill the right. expectation. Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Exactly. So those are those are some pretty easy. Um, I mean, that's kind of, that was like a fundamental place I started with talking about just improvisation inside of juggling. And just to go back to this idea um, about juggling being freedom or not freedom, I would say if you want to start to get technical about it, um, probably everything that you say is improvisation, we could also say is a structured improvisation. Because <laughs> a structured improvisation just sets the rules at which the on what level the improvisation is happening but are you really free though i mean if you're improvising to music and you don't you have automatically the um aren't you under the kind of <laughs> pressure that you have to follow the, or relate to the music somehow like it's another thing if you're just improvising without music completely mm-hmm. void right yeah then you're told then i can understand the argument that you're completely free no 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 no. that's what i'm saying you're never completely free what i'm saying anything you call an improvisation you can say is a structured improvisation and a structured improvisation is an improvisation where you kind of lay out the, the rules like you lay out the groundwork there's rules involved mm-hmm. and those rules are saying on what level you are improvising on Right. That's a that's a structured improv. Yeah. And normally I think we would I, I think normally if you think about structured improvs, you probably let, let like if I just kind of busk one right now with mm-hmm. you. Like, hey, Eric, we're going to do a structured improv. So we're both going to start standing in the corner of the room. We're both going to take three balls uh, we can we're going to kind of go around each other. That's free. That's you're right. So I'm yeah. setting the level now. So in the middle, we don't quite know. But after a while, we should kind of meet uh, on the other side of the room and we each get rid of a ball. Then we only have two each. And then let's try at the end. Let's try after five minutes, we meet at the door and we only have one ball each and we don't know how we get there. Mm. So I'm setting a structure. Right. It could be like, oh, yeah, when I smack the gong, we all do occasional high throws. There you go. Until I bang the gong again. And then we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to jump. Jump. Randomly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. On what level are we improvising there? So you have some rules that are, that you know, and then you're you're again free inside. So, you know, to say to answer your question about yeah, improvising to the music. Well, it depends on how you set your structure. Yeah. Uh, and you could say then that the the music is the structure of the structured improv, right? Like it's the, it gives you the structure. There's the chorus, there's the verse, there's the beat, there's the melody, there's the whatever you want to counterpoint or relate to. Mm. Um, but before we get to the music, we'll get to the music really fast. But but there's a couple more things just to point out about the technique of improvising with juggling. I think. Uh, I mean, now we were just talking like on really broad strokes of like do something you've never done before, do something you've never seen before, do something I've never seen before, whatever, right? But then you can start to do stuff like do some juggling. Like take take three balls for example. You can take three balls. You can do some juggling and then just say. Uh, every 10 throws change what you're doing. So you do 10 throws of cascade. Oh, I have to change. Okay, I do reverse cascade. After 10 throws of that, I do shower, like whatever. Then you can start to say, okay, how about every three throws you change? 
How about every two throws you change? How about every one throw you change? That's cool. Tony did good at that. Okay. That, you can kind of imagine that's uh, that could lead somewhere with this spontaneous improvisation of like, and when we start to say too, you know, to go back to this idea of like, do some juggling you've never done before. Yeah, how small do you want to start? How fine detail you want to start to argue? You ever thrown a ball before? Oh, you're using a ball. Hey, you're breathing. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're wearing clothes. Hey, you're, you know, you're on planet Earth. You've done that before. So you have to start to set a range and that's the structured improvisation stuff. You set a range within it. Within this range. Exactly. Completely, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and then then you can start to, instead of changing... uh, these are all just thought, thought experiments, right? But like, instead of changing every, every throw, then you can start to say, um, change every two and a half throws, what you're doing, or um, change every three and then every five, whatever. You can just start to mix up your little structure there. And um, that's, a ni- that's a nice way to start to get into what it means to improvise with juggling. And you can also start to set the rules in terms of what kind of uh, like, techniques you're using like okay i'm gonna mix rolling with throwing with bouncing and every third throw whatever so you kind of have these parameters but in the in the middle of those parameters you're free to choose but you still have to hit those marks that's what we're talking about with the structured improv um but yeah let's get into the music part of it so we we did the we did the course in 2009 music and juggling juggling and music and we did it again in 2017. And I have to say, out of those two sessions, all those years apart, there's one fundamental thing I have learned about juggling to music. And this also applies to, 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 to probably choreographic work with that kind of juggling and music, but also definitely improvisation, the juggling and music. And that is, I think the goal for me at least the goal of of the path to go to go down in terms of what are you trying to do when you're when you're improvising or you're juggling to music it's that you want to be um interpretive and not illustrative and i want to try to uh, explain what i mean by that um and took me forever to figure it out so again if we just go with uh (laughs) well this is kind of funny if you go back to that 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 basic connection between juggling and music which is rhythm then we had that last week of that first course in 2009 and then it was Ivar Heckscher who really led that week and you know he said hey yeah maybe the next course should be about improvisation but the other thing he said which was really funny was we should also do a course about what is the melody of juggling (laughs) because you have this basic rhythm of juggling that's so easy to... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, interesting, you yeah. know. It's so easy to talk about the rhythm of juggling. And then there's melody within music. And melody in music has quite complex rules, mm-hmm. right? Like different genres of music. I mean, it's it's quite... Wouldn't the equivalent of melody then in juggling be the shape? So then you can start to get into... So there's... Sure, there's a lot of different ways to approach that. One of them is like, you can start to, start to think about it as a visual melody, but I want to say one thing, let's say one thing right now to kind of just like make this concrete and, and useful is that at some point, the analogy between music and juggling breaks down, <laughs> right? Like we can, we can find all these parallels between the two art forms and we can say that they're 
movements happening in respect to time. So we get rhythm. But at some point, it, music is not juggling and juggling is not music. You know what I mean? And I could intuit at this point that maybe when we start to go pretty far, like farther down the path of what is the melody of juggling, it, the analogy does start to break down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. It's maybe not the most useful thing, but it's kind of funny to think about that basically the melody in a music is your ears can hear the change of different tones and that can tell some sort of narrative or story, concrete or abstract, whatever you want to say, right? Or emotional, whatever. And it's by the same thing that your eyes can detect different forms in space and then make that same sort of like, you know, uh, yeah. perception of some sort of uh, coherence. Yeah, that was the thing that Denis Pommier told me when I was in school once. This is many, many years ago. When I made the when I made the uh, connection between juggling and music like that and variation specifically, that that that's how we compose with juggling. We change the visual uh, thing, and, and that creates something that an audience can experience. And then he's he said, yeah, but I'm not sure that variations of juggling have the same value as the variations of notes in music exactly yeah yeah let's just say that us as humans or at least in our culture society how we've developed we have very different relate that the way we perceive those things is very different also the way we consume those things is very different i mean yeah i wonder if there could be a culture that experienced visual changes of juggling to the same emotional degree as we right. do with songs, like if that we could be conditioned conditioned into that, or if it's somehow just inherent yeah. in our, you know, biology that no, we take on music in this way, but not visual change. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so let's. Go, I don't want to. I don't want to miss uh, talking about the interpretive versus illustrative. So illustrative, I think it's what I started off trying to do. Um, when I was a kid, which is, okay, the music is on this tempo, it's on this beat, there's a drum hit every, you know, this moment of time, so I'm going to try to throw a ball that is is also in that same moment of time, I'm going to juggle on the beat, right? Mm. And juggling on the beat, um, let's just let's just say in an easy way, it's that's um, illustrative, you're illustrating the beat with the juggling. The, the juggling is following the music or the music is following the juggling. Either way, it's a one-to-one mapping as much as you can. So the difference, so the alternative to illustrating something is to interpret it. So you would hear a melody and then maybe the juggling that results wouldn't be on the exact same tempo, but it would be your interpretation of what that melody does. So you could say that the melody goes from high notes to note to low notes or whatever. It's so hard to talk about, right? Like with language, but... Um, then you go, okay, if I'm going to illustrate that and I'm going to be illustrative about it, I'll make my juggling go from high juggling, high throws to low throws, right? But if you're going to be interpretive about it, maybe you can say, well, the sensation of going from high, high notes to low notes feels like it's slowing down, mm-hmm. right? You can have some other sort of human reaction to that. That's beyond just a technique of like the value of the notes. Then you go, oh, that's cool. Maybe I'll do some juggling that slows down, like feels like it's slowing down. What does that mean? And you put that with the music and that turns out to be, quote unquote, the right thing or not the right thing, but, you know, a right thing, like a thing that works with that music. And so now we're talking about composing things. 
So take that up another level, and then you're stuck with doing that on the fly. And that's mm. improvising to music in one way. Mm. And let's jump to that for a second, which is um, one of the biggest things you can think about if you're going to improvise with a musician. That's what you're talking about, right? You get a live musician and you, you're going to improvise with that musician. And that musician's either going to play, again, they can improvise <laughs> or they yeah. can play something set. Here's, the, here's one of the biggest things you can, you, you can think about is who's leading and who's following. So are you going to follow the musician or is the musician going to follow you? And, and, to, and or, or, yeah, are you going to take turns or are you both going to follow each other? And so uh, that's been one of the most productive things I've, mm. when I've improvised with musicians is just to can not even necessarily have that discussion with the musician. I'll, I don't even need to have it, that discussion with the musician. I just have to think about it myself. And go, okay, am I going to follow this person? I'm going to try to make them follow me. Are we going to switch back and forth? How do we communicate that? Are we going to, if it is an improv, then it has to be in real time, how you communi communicate things. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's like, that's one. And then, and then technically, uh, I would say in terms of juggling and music in general, but also, especially with improvisation. Yeah, is, is the, the, the technique is, um, it's really silly, <laughs> but there's a technical thing I learned to do. It was from Eric Nilsson, who's a drummer, taught, he taught me. And this is so dumb. I always thought before I met Eric Nilsson, I, I frequently wanted to, I, I did work with musicians and I wanted to juggle two music, either illustrative, normally it was illustratively when I was younger, which means, okay, I want to catch on the beat. So I always thought I had to throw to the correct height I had to throw to the right height so that the ball would land at the right time on the beat of the music, right? It's completely wrong. And Eric taught me that. It's completely wrong. It's nothing to do with the height of the throw. It's only when you catch the ball. So it means if you're doing three-ball cascade, you know how flexible that technique can be. You can stretch it and pull it. The three-ball cascade, you think of Chris Cremo, his arms stretched out straight or how little you can juggle or you can... You can do the cascade in many different ways. So what Eric taught me was no matter where you throw the ball, like how high you throw the ball, just catch it on the beat. <laughs> so if it's, you know, if you throw the ball too high and it's going to come down late, reach your hand up and grab it. If, if you threw the ball too low and it's going to land too early, just move, like literally move your hand closer to the floor. <laughs> yeah. And you'll never be off beat. And it's so crazy. It's so stupid like looking back on it, I'm like, that's so obvious. Um, but yeah, he taught me that. And once I learned that, that, re that really helped me to just start to in that technical journey towards those goals. Mm. Yes. Uh, I had a few questions about like improvisation with the musician. So let's start with one, which is, do you have any like concrete strategies that you use that you could tell me about, like for an example, if you're if you're improvising with a musician, and you feel like you're off, or you've lost it, you've lost the connection. What what yeah. what, what do you do? Do you have yeah, yeah, something yeah. concrete? You totally, can talk about? Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Look, one. Let's go back to let's go back to one quality of improvisation we we touched on very briefly, and that's expectation. So. <laughs> so the audience doesn't know what's supposed to happen 
I mean, that, that's in general. That's not just with improvisation, right? Someone comes to see your show today, they don't know what you're going to do next. Mm. It's like a magic trick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you don't, because you don't announce, like, okay, I'm going to juggle these five balls, and after I do that, I'll do the cigar boxes, and after that, I'll do the dinosaur eggs. Mm. And then if you don't do the dinosaur eggs, people are like, wait a second. He said they were coming. They were coming up, and they never appeared. Um, so the thing you, so especially like if you're improvising with a musician and you're totally not in sync or you're not feeling it or something feels off, what I do is I lean into that. Mm-hmm. I intentionally go in that direction. I go, hey, me and this musician, we are not on the same page. We are not in the same moment. We are not hearing mm-hmm. or being sensitive to each other. I will go and stand, I'll stand farther away and I'll just start doing a trick that's completely brutally its own thing like a repetitive pattern that's super mm. like uh distinct mm. and this, this is to create a big contrast or this is to create first of all just to acknowledge the moment that like instead of st- to stop pretending that this is going somewhere <laughs> right just yeah to, so you can start from a clean slate yeah a little bit it's the kind of white yeah it's to have a restart or something mm-hmm. and it's also then to hopefully by And again, this could all be communicated ahead of time if you really want to have a deep relationship with the mm-hmm. musician. Normally, I don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. I'm no, like I did a chamber music festival this summer, and one of the dancers got uh, sick, and they called me an hour before. Hey, can you come to this garden and do a, a hour long improvisation with a cello player? I never met her before. I had an hour to get to the venue. We met like five minutes before the thing should start. Mm-hmm. I didn't have time to talk to her and say, hey, when I go stand in the corner and I slam the balls in the ground, that means you should restart like the thing. <laughs> But I, so I, what I mean is you could have a deeper relationship than these little brutal tactics I have. But yeah, basically I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll stop pretending that we're in that same, we're in the same world and I'll just go live in my own world for a second. Mm. And hopefully the musician catches that and goes, oh, we're doing something new now. And they change their vibe. Mm. Or I can cut what I'm doing and then uh, take, a, take a breath for myself. But that there was a distinct moment and it wasn't just like, wait, why did they stop? You know, just throw a ball up, do a pirouette, stop, and then go back and try to join again or something. Mm. But yeah, the, what I'm saying is, though, you can don't feel bad to go away. That's that other thing about improvisation we always think is improvisation always has to be new. It always has to be interesting. It always has to be getting better and more and cooler. And that's just so not the case. And what happens uh, it, what happens when people do that, when they, when they first time they improvise, is they always kind of keep the same tempo. Yeah. It's always a flat line. If you should draw the arc of the, what do you call that? Just the, the length of dynamic the, arc. The dynamic arc of the mm-hmm. performance. Um, It's a flat line. That flat line might be elevated. Like if I start screaming now for the next 60 minutes, if I'm yelling, mm. the dynamic line is going to be very high, but it's going to be flat. Right, There's no yeah. very peaks and valleys. Yeah. And so in improvisation, you have that panic to always search and find the new thing and you got to keep going and it's got to be, oh, I'm, I'm improvising. I'm completely free. So I have to take advantage of that mm. every single moment. And that's just not the case, right? Like you shouldn't be afraid especially if you're working in this live moment of improvisation with a musician, hey, it's not working out. I'm just going to go do my own thing for a second. It's cool. And then you can kind of come back. Hopefully you come back, mm. right? And at the very least, if you don't come back, then 
they saw a juggling performance with some music playing. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. Like, you, you can't forget that. You can't forget that fundamentally that's what you're doing. Mm. And you, you, just, you just happen to be choosing to want to focus on a higher level of relationship there. But mm. many times, yeah. <clears throat> okay, good. The other thing that I wanted to ask you is in terms of improvisation compared to not improvising choreographing or yeah or is there something that you feel like often happens in an improvisation <laughs> in your experience yeah wow is there something that often happens in improvisation well no but there's thing well there's okay yeah it often happens in this way is um because it's funny when you say, is there something that often happens? I'm like, oh, is there something that's always surprising that always happens the same way, the same surprising way? Mm-hmm. But no, I can't think of that. But I can think that like, I do fall into a rut with my little tricks that I know work. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, it's funny. Again, we're being, we're being interpretive, not illustrative. And so there's little, like, for example, if the focus is on the relationship of the music and the juggling, like that's kind of the, the hook of the performance, right? And it's pretty obvious to the audience, like, oh, there's a musician, they're playing some music and the juggler, and, oh, look at that, they're interacting with each other, music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, visually mm-hmm. and musically. Um, I do definitely lots of times fall, fall back on um, certain theatricalities that I know will work that have nothing to do with the relationship to the music. So like at some point I'll just start doing the four, two, three head roll placements and it just works. People just go, Oh, he's putting it on his head. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's nothing to do with the music, but I start to fall into these like little crowd pleasing moments to kind of carry a rhythm or a dynamic of the piece and to give myself a break in the improv, even if it is working. Um, so those things come up a lot. Like I have a little tricks in my pocket yeah. to pull out when the improvisation isn't, you know, just the most uh, interesting or do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, in the no, right totally, way? totally. Yeah. Okay, the last question that I had uh, about it is do you, how do you generally strategize in terms of finding an ending, knowing when to stop mm-hmm. with this musician? Yeah, yeah. Do you have any wisdom to share there? Totally. I mean, that's funny. So go back to Eric Nielsen. Uh, we had a we had an improvisation show. He was a drummer. I was a juggler, and we we really improvised. Uh, and the idea of the show was to go until we could not go any longer. And so that's also just a fun game to play with juggling. It's a fun improvisation or 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 an exercise. You can choreograph it too, and just say find an ending with juggling where it's impossible to continue. It's really good uh, because... Point of no return. The point of no return, yeah. Or I mean, again, take it on whatever fundamental level you want. Like, yeah. did Francis Brunn, like, nail that assignment? <laughs> He's dead, so he can't... No, I don't know. Like, no, but, like, how existential you want to take it, like... Because you can start to... Ar- I mean, people do... Again, it's juggler brain. You always hear... You hear, like, a challenge and you always want to make it as hard and as crazy as you can instantly. So it's like, oh, I could die. Mm. Like, I, I get that as response in class if we do that assignment. They're like, oh, you want me to die? Then yeah. I couldn't go anymore? It's like, well, okay. Now we've explored yeah. that. <laughs> we've explored that area. Now we can go back to something useful. Um, 
And so, uh, no, but we had, so we had this show where it was like, the idea is we're going to go for an hour and, uh, well, sorry, we're not going to go for, it usually took around an hour. Sorry. Uh, we're going to go until we can't go on any longer. Sometimes it went 45 minutes. Sometimes it went an hour and a half. Uh, I don't think it ever went much longer than that because we would physically exhaust ourselves. Um, and most of the, like, like that finding an ending on that show was always pretty straightforward because it was just like, let's go until we can't move anymore. Maybe the drums are completely broken and trashed and the juggling props are all out in the audience. And I can't, like, I'm exhausted. I can't stand up. And we've done that show. We, we had, we'd done that show for a couple of years, uh, a couple of tours of that show. And there would be maybe two or three times during those couple of years tour where we would go backstage and pass out. Like to the point where we passed out. Like I don't know if you remember EJC and Yorenzu. Mm. It was forty degrees Celsius, and we did the show. And afterwards, we both we both went back. We both left the stage and then fainted because mm. we just had exhausted ourselves, and it was forty degrees out, and we couldn't move. Um, so finding that ending was pretty pretty straightforward conceptually. Mm. But then I work with uh, another drummer now, Zeppo. And we have this show and we always talk about, so the show, the name of the show is The Perfect Mistake. And it's literally about finding the ending. Mm. <laughs> and what it means is the perfect mistake is when you're improvising, you are in one way making these serendipitous moments, which are just mistakes. Like you just happen to hit the drum and I happen to catch the ball. It's not planned out. And it's kind of like sniffing out those moments, like the moment of like the perfect mistake is like the best one, which ends the whole thing. Um, and in terms of finding that ending, I'll say improvisation, juggling to music, improvising to music. It's like everything else. You can learn it. You can learn it. It's a, it's a skill you can practice. So when me and Zeppel, we performed together for many years now and we practice finding that moment. Um, it's the same as when you're going to juggle five balls. You don't expect the first time you pick up the five balls, you're going to catch them all. But then you, 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 but with that one, you go, oh yeah, but of course I just practice, I get better at it. And for some reason, at least in the juggling community, for sure, the idea of improvising and yeah, working with somebody else in an improvisational setting and maybe again, finding how to find that ending. It's not something I think we generally think that you can necessarily practice in the same way as a five ball cascade, but it definitely is. It's just being aware of those moments and being aware of the the history of what has like the recent history of what you've just done <laughs> to try to find the longer arc or the longer rhythm of the piece and just go like hey this moment right now is maybe not the greatest moment we did but it's the moment that makes the sense in terms of the, this rhythm that we've built up or that we're in um actually rodrigo just released a really good um play talk play right now amplifiers and explosions on youtube he just did a new play talk play with uh, Leafcutter John. And if you watch, it's like uh, they, they just start playing. It's such a cool format. They play music, they improvise, they never, you know, they just improvise. And then, and then when they're done playing, they start to talk about what they did. And then they play again, right? Mm -hmm. That's the format. But when you watch this newest episode, the, the point when they stop playing, well, it's, imp it's improvised. So how do, you, how do they know when to stop? Why don't they play for 10 hours long? But they don't. There is they're paying attention to this this natural sort of arc that they're creating. It's really beautiful on the latest episode of how they stop. 
Because they just all of a sudden they just go like they're listening to what they're doing. Maybe that's the that's the, the good answer. Like, how do you find the ending together? You're, I, I, you're metaphorically listening to what you're doing, right? Mm. You're you're not just constantly um, pushing ahead because <laughs> you feel compelled to always. Because when you're improvising, I feel that sometimes you're like, I just got to keep going and more and more and more and more. Have you have you analyzed improvising like that to be like, okay, what can I do? I can push, I can listen, I can follow, I can, I don't know, break, I can... Did you ever do something like that? Yeah, not so formally. Rodrigo has a whole structure. I think he did his whole uh, PhD about it, Mm. actually. And I did a juggling version of his improvisation thing where basically what you do is is, um, you do an improvisation and then you start to talk about... uh, exactly what you just said. You go, okay, in this moment, I was feeling like I should do something new, but then the thing I did, it wasn't new enough. And then I felt like this, and he plots these points on a graph and then makes a kind of a, a chart and that you can kind of start to optimize your, mm. <laughs> you can start to oh, cur- cool. curate yeah. your instant decisions. Cause of course your instant decisions are influenced by your unconscious, uh, you know, your, intu- your intuition. It's kind of maybe to start to curate or like to grow your intuition somehow. I don't know. It's, but I think I think, uh, of course, the good the good place to start. I mean, if we try to sum this up a little bit. Is you want to juggle to music? I guess it's good to start with the illustrative way, juggle on the beat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what you talked about Denis Pommier earlier and uh, there's been of course other people doing this but you can map your your sight swaps to notes so like the higher the sight swap the higher the note you know uh, and you can play melodies that way that's um, that's illustrative basically yeah. um, but then you can start to you can start to be interpretive a great I, I say I say really concrete really really good exercise uh, to start to pay attention to what it means to be interpretive and to improvise. And this is a great preparation of juggling to music. If you want to improvise to music, the exercise itself is only juggling, but it's, it's a genius. It sounds so simple. It's so genius. It's an Ivar Heckscher classic. It's so good. I think we've done it. Basically, you only need, you need at least two people. Uh, it works with more people. But basically... I do a trick, like let's say I have a three ball trick. I do columns, one up, two up. And your job is to do uh, the next trick in the sequence. And I'm not talking about choreographing something, I'm talking as a response to what I did. So if I do one up, two up, you could do, uh, well, you can do whatever you think is appropriate to come after that. And I'm not talking about like, well, if you do one up, two up, I'll do uh, one up, two up with one on the side or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's not about tricks relating to each other. You could, you could put the balls on the floor, but there has to be some sort of, uh, cause you're interpreting what's going to come next. Yeah. It's so hard to explain in words. It's such a great exercise when you start to learn how to play it really good because it really makes you think, okay, Eric did three ball shower. And so, out of that what should come and before that such and such and such a pattern happened and so next should be a pirouette no doubt (laughs) right that you just have this yeah it's really hard to explain it's a very simple game that's one of the most useful things i ever did and play that game a lot with two or three or four people just going around the circle what's the next trick what's the next trick what's Mm -hmm. the next trick 
that really helped me prepare for meeting a musician. Then you hear a musician play a melody or play a sound and you go, oh, what should I do then? And I'm not talking being illustrative, I'm talking interpretive and somehow finding some sort of synergy. I mean, the best, the best, uh, the best improvisation I ever did was with Pekka Kuzisto and he's a violin player. And sometimes when the, the classical orchestra lets him get wacky, he has an electric violin and he has a bunch of guitar pedals on the floor. And we did this one um, improvisation at the Mahler Chamber Orchestra in Berlin. And it was about 15 minutes long. And I remember at one point in the improvisation, I was just doing two balls. I like I had three balls and I put a ball down and I just had balls. I was just throwing them up really small in each hand. I just sound so stupid in words, but it was one of the best moments. I was like, wow, this is really appropriate for this moment. It has nothing to do with technique. It only has to do with interpretation of what Pekka's playing. And then he, and I guess in the perfect world, then, you know, Pekka sees me do that and he interprets something back into his world. And then that makes me interpret something back into my world. And that's this who's following who it's impossible to say. Mm. That's probably the best improvisation I ever had with juggling and music. I mean, many other juggling moments happened in that piece, but I distinctly remember standing on the stage in Berlin, throwing one ball up and down in each hand, like really small throws and going like, this actually works. This is actually working in this moment. Um, I think there's a video of it on my YouTube channel. You can, you can find it out. So 